Hello everyone, you are listening to the Open to Happiness podcast. I am your host Nicoletta and I am doing a solo episode today to explore the relationship between bereavement and happiness. I have taken a two-week break this summer and throughout this time I had the experience of losing a very close family member which has naturally reorganized my life and now changed my podcast schedule. So today I will be talking about how bereavement can close the door to happiness and if there is a way to open it again. I will explore the shock of a family member's sudden death, what it means to lose someone young, how it feels to find someone you just met died unexpectedly, what kills us young these postmodern days, how is bereavement experienced these days and what is its impact on our lives. We will look at why grief closes us to happiness and how to open up to joy and aliveness again. And we will look at why grief closes us to happiness and how to open up to joy and aliveness again. So this little story that I'm sharing with you today has been inspired by a recent event that literally shifted my life upside down. It was right at the end of my two-week holiday mid-July when I had this terrible news that a very close family member had a heart attack and died on the street. It is hard to describe the shock when someone close dies suddenly, especially when they are young and when you just saw them days before, because we've been together at the end of June when I celebrated my 50th birthday. Now, Many of you that have been through bereavement know that the initial phase is a stage of dissociation of disbelief and denial. And of course, that happened to me too. But that is probably the most real aspect of human life after birth. And sooner or later, we have to start accepting it. The impact of a sudden death, as I said, is even greater when it's a fairly young person. When we lose someone that is more mature, to not say world, or someone that has been through a long illness, and we have had that space to to contemplate that idea of their imminent death is different. But an unexpected death brings a bit more shock, and it leaves us with many unanswered questions. In my case, I can say that I froze on many levels. Physiologically, there's been many changes. I felt an expected lack of appetite, disturbed sleep, and an overall sense of numbing in my my body. I felt the loss of that material body that I so well knew, and I started to miss its presence, its laughter, even the annoying facets of their being. And the absence of the physical presence tends to be the worst challenge. But at the same time, the memories we have with them do bring a little bit of consolation. On a mental level, I was tormented by intrusive thoughts mixing memories from the past with those present images emerging from the funeral and the ceremony. Then I felt the guilt of surviving, the anger towards them leaving us, the regret of not helping them more to live a healthier life, to live a longer life. And the regret for all of those experiences that they have now missed in this human life on earth. But the greatest impact happened to me at a spiritual level. 
Emotionally, I was overwhelmed by all sorts of feelings. There was immense sadness, anger, fear, and I got stuck in there for days and days. And now looking back, if I can just step out of that personal experience for a second, I can say that as a psychologist and therapist, I've learned that when we lose someone close, there is a level of dying that that happens in us. And that dying somehow deepens with each person connected with us that has passed. I look at it sometimes as being a rehearsal of our own end of life. Then the mind and the soul tend to remain busy with those thoughts and emotions. And I I remember that I surprised myself looking at the nature and listening to music from a bar I just passed by and, and feeling the shame or the thought that I might feel good when someone has just died. And then over the years, I noticed that there are some cultural differences in how we say goodbye to a dear person. And I can say that the ceremony surrounding the funeral defines in many ways how we go through grief. From a personal and professional perspective, I feel that we should be exposed very little to the image of the dead and the possessions that take place because it can re-traumatize us. But very often we follow the tradition in the communities we live in. And then there is this level of wanting to share as much time as possible with the deceased, the physical form, even if they are not alive as we knew them anymore. On another level, I feel that it brings a scary thought around our own mortality or the death of other people that might be old or ill in our close circles. I think we all fear for our parents, siblings, children, friends, for all of those that are connected with us. What I also noticed is that when we are bereaved, we start to reflect on the point of life. And this brings many existential questions. Why did that person live? What was the scope and purpose of that life? Was it to create something on a physical level and live behind us in the world? Was it to allow another person to come to life? Was it to save another person from a hard life? Was it to take care of other people? Was it to experience something and, and learn some lessons themselves? Or perhaps to help other people experience something and learn lessons from them? And we also ask, why do they have to go now? Why right now? And what is the relevance for all of the ones remaining behind? The greatest learning for me through this loss is to be even more alert at the health signs and ask people questions without fearing they might get upset. Ask simply, are you all right? I learned to never think twice and tell people when I am worried with their eating habits, with their drinking habits, maybe to tell them stop smoking, to tell them stop taking drugs, to tell them start moving, and to tell them to start taking care of themselves in all aspects of their beings. Not just keep an eye on their physical wellness, but also on their mental, spiritual, and relational well-being. Because we sometimes remain the observers of the destructive behaviors we see in people around us. But we need to do more. We need to be active participants in their well-being. 
I know it becomes frustrating to keep telling people and they see no results, but we need to keep doing it. It is, in my view, a sign of care and kindness. It is an act of compassion to verbalize our worries and to remind them to maybe take their medication, to encourage them to go and see a doctor. In this recent loss, I did a lot of that. Maybe too much at times, maybe not enough other times. You see, I don't have a machine to measure it. It is all subjective. But if I learned something from the morning these days by the coffin, was that people are terrified of death, yet they find it unreal. People are not aware how much they can hurt themselves with their own lifestyle. We do not believe that salt, fats, and sugar can kill us. But salt, fats, and sugar has contributed to this recent loss, together with smoking and drinking. We don't believe that smoking can kill us. We do not believe that alcohol can kill us. All these products can be found on the shelves of each supermarket. And most of them are cheap and affordable, at least in the Western world. How can something that is found next to flower, juice, or water kill you? How can something that is at the core of any celebration and gathering like alcohol, how can alcohol kill us? How can alcohol kill us when there are so many venues opening exactly for this purpose, to sell alcohol and to entertain us? It seems so unreal that most people will find it hard to believe that these substances can kill our bodies. But the reality is that 8 million people die each year on earth because of smoking. 8 million people is the entire population of Estonia, Luxembourg, Albania, Malta, and Lithuania. Imagine the entire population of these five European countries being vanished every year, completely erased, like it never existed, every single year. And on top of that, 3 million people died because of alcohol each year. That's the entire population of Bosnia and Herzegovina, for example. Sugar, fatty foods, and salt are a deadly combination. Most processed foods use a combination of salt and sugar or sugar and fats to attract us, to entice us, and they make our bodies addicted. And we consume until we die. It is as simple as that. Then nicotine and the other 7,000 chemicals created through burning a cigarette, many of them toxic, and 69 of them proven to cause cancer. All of these chemicals enter our bloodstream to inhalation. They create lesions inside our arteries. And on those lesions is the fat, which we call cholesterol in medical terms, which is starting to deposit and create plaques, then salt comes on top of it and calcifies the plaque, and then another layer of cholesterol and salt adds up if we keep consuming it, and that will narrow our arteries and will block the blood flow. And the narrow artery is the thriving environment for heart attack, for cerebral attack, and that is very often an instant death. So, Continuing to live like that doesn't bring the question of if, but the question of time. It's a matter of when. And don't ever think that that can't possibly happen to you. Like a smart young doctor told me recently, 
do not rely on the fact that your grandfather maybe smoked and died at 90. Your grandfather lived in a less polluted environment, ate unprocessed biofoods, lived with infinite less stress, and smoked unprocessed tobacco, not the addictive modern-day cigarettes. This recent loss taught me many lessons. Some of them I heard before, but I did not take them too seriously. You see, we tend to keep a distance information and knowledge that remains in our thinking at a mental level, but has not passed our souls and emotional system. But when we feel it inside our hearts, when we feel the pain, that brings the shock. And this is when we begin the transformation. Because in that suffering, we go fast speed through all the stages of transformation. We understand what happened. We accept that it's real. We let it to stay in the past. We integrate that experience and we learn something from it. We forgive those that have wronged us and maybe have wronged themselves and other people. And we start healing our hurts. And only then we feel the transformation taking place in us. And that is changing our lives forever. Some people see the death of someone dear through the lenses of denial. And traditionally, our culture has created a narrative that supports that. People tend to say, that was God's will. This is how many days they had. You cannot stay in front of death and so on. And these are the people that remain stuck in denial. They do not take this opportunity for an inner shower for purification, for a review of their own life. They do not make sense of their loss. It remains unprocessed and it stacks on top of many other events that have been left hanging in their past. There is a danger to this approach. Firstly, it does not allow for catharsis, for the release of the pain. Second, it accumulates tension and stress and it does not have an outlet to let it out. And that is a barrier right in front of the door that leads to peace and happiness. I see other people, they go deeper. They explore each event in detail because they want to know. They want to understand. They want to accept it. They want to let go of the past. They want to learn something from it. They are willing to forgive themselves and others. They simply want to heal and they are actively involved in their process of transformation. These people, in my experience, stand a much better chance to open up to the joy of life again, despite their painful losses. And I feel that this is the most important variable, how much we permit ourselves to grieve, to connect with our painful feelings, to understand them, to accept them, to let them stay in the past, to bring less emotional charge, but to allow us access to our memories, to learn something from it, to forgive what was done and what was left undone, unresolved and unspoken, to heal inside and to transform into a a stronger, more resilient and much kinder person. And these stages are defined by our openness to experience, our openness to learning, ultimately our openness to joy and happiness. But sometimes we do not get it immediately. We need to wait for the insight to come. We need to wait for the inner state to shift and for the inner working to be done through us. And this is what we call grief. Grief takes time. It takes a lifetime to mourn a dear person. 
And the closer the person, the deeper the grieving. And I feel that this is what the purpose of loss is. It is not a punishment on us, on others, but merely a teaching, a lesson that can make the remaining of our existence better, to make us a more caring, a more compassionate, a much kinder and loving, a more tolerant and more accepting human being. It is a choice that we make how we live our lives, how we grieve the people we loved, and how we end our lives. And it lays with each of us to make the choice that is either destroying or improving our life. That's all I had to say for now. Thank you all for allowing me to share my story. I hope it left you thinking and it brought you a new perspective to life. Until next time, I am wishing you all good health and happiness.